Hey friends, so glad to be with you again. Scott Sullivan here, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And we are joined today with a panel of expert, absolute experts, leaders uh, across Georgia here. And we're so glad for you all to be with us. Now, uh, just a reminder, kind of what we're tracking with here. I dropped an article called Six Pivots for churches to consider as they get ready for big gospel impact coming out of pandemic. And that is really just proven to be um, helpful as we try to move all of our organizations forward. And that's really what we want is to be prepared for big impact, uh, to give the gospel, to reach people, to retain, retain people, and to move them to spiritual maturity. Now, um, today I'm joined by a panel and their names, Dallas White. Dallas is a pastor at Ackworth. He's also one of our consultants on the discipleship portion of our team. So Dallas, glad to have you. And then we also have Milton Campbell. Milton, Milton is the pastor at Midtown Baptist, uh, Midtown Bridge Church in Atlanta, and excited to hear some insights of what God's doing through him and his church. We've got Matt Pilon with us. Matt is the executive pastor at Bethlehem Church in Bethlehem. And of course, if you're anywhere close to that area, you know they're doing incredible, just really insightful, creative things and reaching thousands of folks. Justin Holcomb is with us. He's the pastor at Atco Baptist Church in Cartersville, and uh, just really met him a couple of months ago. And the heart of what you're doing, Justin, is, uh, is just incredible. And you're new getting to that church. So everybody that's on the panel today really has a different angle that they're coming from when we talk about this, this potential for creating a new church model and what should we think through in that. And then finally, we're joined with Kim Harris, one of my favorite people on the planet. Kim is the consultant, a consultant at Noonday Association in our Northwest region. And uh, so excited to have you, Kim. Just insights that you'll kind of sum things up towards the end to help us know maybe some things that you're seeing because you're not just interacting with a church, you're kind of like I do. You're in a, interacting with hundreds and hundreds of churches and seeing a lot of best practices. So Dallas, let me start with you. And then Dallas is actually going to guide our discussion throughout the day here for the next few minutes. So Dallas, let me just kick this question to you. How do you know uh, that you needed to, to move the church to a new church model? Because you've, you've gotten to Ackworth. Uh, it was a great church with lots of history, a lot of things that had happened in the past. But you guys have made some seismic shifts. And really what's happening there is that it's not just exciting, it's like New Testament exciting. So just share with us a minute and then you take charge. Yeah, thanks for having us today. Excited to be here with these guys and Kim. Um, yeah, so my wife and I arrived at what was at the time called Piney Grove Baptist Church. Uh, the church was started in 1933 by five families um, in an area which was very sparsely populated. Uh, it was called Piney Grove because there were more pine trees than people. And over the years, the area has exploded. It's a, a part of the metro Atlanta area. And as population has increased, um, the church really never caught up with the changing community that was around it. And so there was some wonderful people here when we arrived, but there were also some real challenges. And we just began praying and asking God, God, what does it look like? What is your heart for this church? Uh, we believe that and you calling us here that, that that you're telling us this church is is not done you're not finished with this church that there's more you want to do and so we just tried to pray and get god's heart for what he wanted us to do and so that kind of began with an examination an evaluation of 
what's good, what's working, what needs to be changed. And that's really what, what I kind of dial into this morning. We, we saw some really healthy realities and then we saw some not so healthy realities. The, the healthy realities were there were some wonderful people here. I tell people all the time, I, I don't know if I've ever been in a church where the people have endeared themselves so much to me so quickly as the people of Piney Grove Baptist Church did in the first few months. I mean, just fell in love with the people at this church and felt as though we'd known them for years. It was just a real sweet thing that the Lord did in building sort of a depth of relationships quickly. But there were also some challenges. Um, challenges like when I walked in the door, um, giving was, was struggling. We were about $40,000 behind the budget where we needed to be. There was two months left to go in the year. Um, there'd been a moral failure among two kind of key leaders in the church and the way that that had been handled, there was some uh, adversity there. And so that caused some tension that led people to leave uh, even before my wife and I arrived. Um, reported membership in the church the year before was 396. That was the number they turned in uh, on the annual profile. In one year, that number dropped to 246. So about 150 people were no longer considered members of the church from one year to the next. And when we arrived, it was about 85 people on an average weekend. Uh, not a lot of people coming to faith, not a lot of outreach in the community. And so we just begin to pray and ask God, God, what is it, what is it that you want for this church? And what does it look like for us to lead through change? And we really begin to feel that before we shifted models, so to speak, that we needed to dial in on culture, that we needed to make sure we had the right heart and the right spirit. And once we got that, we could build a model around that. And so we just begin to clarify the vision that we felt like God gave us for the church, which was helping families flourish. And that's kind of a simplified version, but we say it every week and everything that we do, we exist to help families flourish. And um, so we begin to identify some things that we thought were necessary for flourishing to take place. So one of those things was, was this, um, we would have to be a Jesus church, right? Now I know that um, some people that are listening are probably thinking like, wait, isn't every church a Jesus church? Um, no, the answer is not. It, it is, it's not every church is a Jesus church, because if we're not careful, we can get so caught up focusing on things that are, they're, they're not biblical. They're not Jesus. They're traditional maybe, but they're not Jesus. And we can build a, a whole system, a whole culture, a whole ministry model around traditions that are really not true to Jesus. And so we just said at the beginning, we're going to be a Jesus church. And one of the real statements we used to clarify that was we're going to be a substance church, not a style church. So we had a sweet guy that was here as an interim minister of music. And man, he was doing such a good job. He's trying so hard to lead the church well and kind of the absence of other leadership. He's a dear friend to this day. But I told him about four months and I said, you got the hardest job in the world because you've got people on one end who think everything you do is too modern. You got people on the other end who think everything you do is too old and you can't please anybody. Right. And that's because so much of, so much of what had happened here over the years had we've become a style church. We're going to sing this style or we're going to be this style or we're going to do that. And it wasn't about substance. And so from day one, we just begin to say, Hey, it, whether it was written in 1700s or whether it was written in 2017, if it's about Jesus, we can sing it with a smile on our face and have joy in our hearts because Jesus is the one that we love and he's the one that we've gathered to worship. So we just begin to make some of those like um, 
foundational shifts, right? And just say like, this is who we are culturally. This is who we're going to be. And we're not going to, we're not going to budge from these things. And I can remember like the difficulty of having meetings with people who would walk into the office and they, they sat down. My mind goes to one in particular where a couple who to this day, I love dearly uh, came in and sat down and they said, pastor, we just want to tell you we're we're leaving the church. Um, We just, we can't get on board with this particular style of music. And, um, man, I wept, I wept with those people and I begged them, um, please, please stay. God's got a purpose for you here. And, and they did move on. And, uh, I hated that because I came into this environment feeling as though everybody could play a part. And as people begin to walk away for reasons like that, it was heartbreaking. But at the end of the day, we knew we had to be consistent. We knew that if we're going to shift the culture, we have to be consistent. And so we just, we, we couldn't, we couldn't give in. We had to stay true to what we said we were going to be. And so that was one area was, was just, we're going to be a Jesus church. We're going to focus on substance more than style. Another area was in the area of generosity. Uh, as I said, we knew that if we're going to reach people, we have to be a generous church. It takes resources to reach people. And when you're running a $40,000 deficit, that means that's $40,000 worth of ministry that you're not going to be able to do. And so just begin to cast the vision for what it looks like to be generous people, uh, to be a generous church. And by God's grace today, we, in the last two and a half years, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of like $200,000 over budget, uh, of what we've needed. And so that's allowing us to do some incredible things. So like back to this moment that we're in, um, where there's been an economic downturn and there's a lot of uncertainty, man, we've been able to rally around people in our church who have lost their jobs or their hours have been cut down we're able to say, hey, go ahead and file for the unemployment. Go ahead and, and, and dot the I's and cross the T's. But just know that as a church, we've got your back in this. And you're not going to walk through this alone. And we can do that because for the last two and a half years, we, we've become a generous church. We're, we're able to do renovations right now. We don't have, we don't have any kids on our campus. Uh, we haven't for the last several weeks. And we needed majorly to do an overhaul in our kids' space and so uh, it's afforded us that opportunity. So we're paying cash for renovations that we're doing right now. And when our kids come back on campus, uh, they'll have a brand new space every single Sunday to, to worship in. We're able to remain strong partners with our, our church planters and our, our missionaries around the world, which is a priority for us. And so um, we, we changed the, those cultural things early and they've positioned us and, and set us up for success today, even in spite of the uncertainty that's been been caused by uh, this pandemic. And so I would just encourage leaders before you get so focused on a model, right? A, a, um, A program, if you will, focus first on culture. Who has God called you to be as a church? What's, what's the vision that God's given you as the pastor or the leader of that church or that particular ministry? And what is that going to look like as it's, as it's played out and then begin to look for models or resources that can help you craft ministry around those particular things. So don't get so caught up in a model before you've sort of made the culture of who you're going to be clear. So just some things that I would share and uh, out of our experience that have been helpful to us. And I'm excited that we have these guys and and Kim with us today. And so guys, I want to kind of pitch it to you now. Um, Pastor Milton, I'm going to start with you. If you're just now joining us, Pastor Milton is pastor of the Midtown Bridge Church in Atlanta. And um, Pastor Milton, I just want to throw it to you first. Um, 
what would you say you guys have done there at Midtown Bridge, very different context than maybe some of us in the suburban area or even further out than that in, in a rural setting, uh, much more urban in nature, very close to Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah. What are some things that you guys have done to maximize your church's disciple-making potential? Yeah, well, thanks again, uh, Dallas. I was laughing when Scott announced and we're experts. <laughs> I don't know if that exists anymore. We are all learning and trying to figure this thing out. Uh, but I think for us at the Midtown Bridge, it's been a unique season. Uh, where we are, uh, the church, um, as you shared, Dallas, we're like literally, I mean, tech students stay pretty much on the facility in Atlantic Station, which is where we meet. Uh, we meet in a movie theater in Atlantic Station, so we definitely have significant Georgia Tech students, Georgia State students, uh, young families, a very young church. So I think it's, it's, it's coming in, we knew there was a need to figure out, okay, since we are such a young congregation, how do we know we don't have the, the 50s and 60s, as many, we do have some, but not as many, to reach back and disciple this next generation. We really started looking at how can we really connect with them. And I, I'll be honest, like it's something we're still figuring out. Uh, some of the things we've been doing, though, that's worked pretty well, I'd say, would be, you know, we have what we call D groups. Uh, we also have what we call community groups. Uh, community groups is pretty much the heart of our church right about now. And that's where we gather members. Uh, Atlanta being, you know, Atlanta traffic, uh, those who know Atlanta, you know, it is a city of uh, much sanctification through traffic. And, I, and because of that, we, we had to figure out ways, okay, in light of the business and the traffic dynamics, the experience, how do we help people to connect and be disciple uh, with as minimum distractions or barriers as possible? And so we've been, uh, since since uh, beginning, we've really been doing a, a, a strong force of our disciple making has been our community groups. And basically what they are, they meet in homes around the city. We encourage the members to go to a home near them. That way they don't have to worry about at least as little traffic as possible. Um, and they can gather with those families and it's different. I mean, it's pretty much all ages and stages coming together over a meal and spending time in God's word. And so it's been really cool watching those uh, just be so fruitful, us, fruitful for us uh, prior to COVID-19. But even since COVID-19, of course, we're not gathering in homes now because we want to respect the, um, the uh, shelter in place uh, and not try to compromise putting people in, in jeopardy. But of course, like everyone else, we just shifted those to Zoom and Google Hangouts. And honestly, it's been so cool because we've seen people who in the past weren't able to connect now because you know because of technology they're able to really connect and because people are longing for community we're seeing a lot more of our body just really be drawn into that community now to be, be able to encourage one another that's really good thank you for sharing that let me ask you one more thing pastor milton um have you learned anything through these last two months that you think you'll hold on to once all of this hopefully soon ends yeah, I would definitely say so. I think for one, a couple of things we're doing, like even as elders, we have, we're led by elders and we meet and we, you know, we're constantly going through our membership and praying over them. But even since everything has transpired, we've been a lot more diligent to, to double down on our connections. So our elders are really reaching out to our members. And then also we've assigned other ministry leaders reaching out to those members, uh, staff reaching out. So it's just a lot more intentionality in the sense of how do we really just care for the flock a lot better. And so I think for us, like, it's, it's really for us, it's a unique time to kind of reset. Like even, we, I feel like our culture is strong, but like you said, we're, re, we're, we're, we're revisiting some of those things that were not so strong coming into COVID to say, you know what, what are some new things we're gonna do? But I definitely would say foresee uh, us really doubling down on this, hey, leaders checking in on members, uh, every person having someone they're responsible for. Um, I heard one of my brothers in ministry say, we're responsible siblings. 
And I think that's been one of the things we've really been trying to do in this season that we're really going to make room for even beyond COVID-19. That's good. That's good. I want to encourage you as you're watching this, if you're hearing something that stands out to you or you've got a question or you want to add something to the discussion, make sure you add that in the comments section below because that's what makes these things so rich is all of the feedback and the interaction that we have together. And I love what you said, Pastor Milton, because I think, um, I think a crisis exposes our culture, right? Yeah, um, you don't necessarily create culture in a crisis, but you, you get clarity on what your culture is. You see yes. what are we doing really well and maybe what do we think we're doing well, but we're not doing all that well. So and I love, I love the honesty that you shared of like, man, we just felt like we could be so much more intentional of engaging our membership and our leaders praying intentionally for them. So that is really, that's really, really good. I want to go to, um, I want to go to you, Pastor Matt, executive pastor at Bethlehem Church. You guys have three campuses, right? We do. Yeah, we campuses. currently have three campuses. Uh, we actually have two different venues meeting on our primary campus too. Uh, for uh, space reasons, they're the exact same service, but uh, so it's, we call it three and a half. It's really almost the way it operates. Three and a half. So what has it been like for you guys? What, what shifts have you guys, you know, as a, as a multi-site church, growing church, healthy church, what shifts have you guys made over the last couple of years? And then even within this little window of, of COVID-19, what shifts have you guys made to maximize the disciple-making potential there at Bethlehem? Yes, yeah, a great question. And I would say, just to take you back about a year ago, uh, we realized just uh, with everything up into the right and um, high-growth season that we were doing uh, mobilization very well. Uh, we were doing assimilation uh, pretty well. Uh, but our formation process made us nervous. Uh, just with the amount of growth that we were experiencing, were we really forming people, spiritually forming people um, well? And so that really brought about a significant conversation uh, with myself, Pastor Jason, and several other uh, of our team in our discipleship uh, area ministry. And we really started uh, exploring what would it mean for us to really uh, flip everything upside down and, and redo our processes completely. Uh, so about six months ago, I introduced a word to our team, uh, and it's a word we use a lot right now in this season, and that's engagement. What would it look like to start measuring uh, engagement, particularly in six areas of, that we feel are true of, of a disciple or a disciple maker? And so what we did is we identified these six areas, worshiper, family member, learner, uh, servant, messenger, uh, and then multiplier. And so we took these six areas and we created what we call our compass. And it's really our spiritual formation strategy. And it's, it's even more than a strategy. It's, it's a way for people to um, grow in the relationship with Christ, uh, be introduced in the relationship with Christ. And so we were in the process of bringing all this online, uh, actually the Sunday before everything hit. And so uh, the cool part about this is we already had plans and started working on making all of this digital. So we wanted to make in an on-demand world, we wanted to make our spiritual process digital and accessible on our website. Now, what that means is creating a login for everybody who gets on uh, to be able to enter into this, uh, this process and for us to be able to track their engagement. 
So for us, instead of uh, success being the percentage of people that we have in a small group, uh, for us, uh, success is the percentage of people who are engaged in two plus areas uh, of these six areas. And so we are trying to create a process with our database, with our website that allows us to measure that. And so our spiritual formation team would help someone move through the process of these six areas. Uh, one of those big areas is a leadership pipeline that we introduced about six months ago uh, in training leaders. And so that is a big part of our formation process. And what we did, again, flipping everything upside down, what we realized is that uh, when someone came on one of our teams, whether it be in our guest services or children's or another team, 80% uh, of their development or their training was around that particular area. And 20% and 20 of it was pretty much the same across the board, just things that we wanted to be true of a volunteer or a leader in our area. And so we flipped that upside down. And so what we decided is someone who would even stand at a, a door as a greeter, 80% of their training would be the exact same or development would be the exact same as someone who was going to be a small group leader. And so what we did is we, we let our church know, hey, we don't want to just uh, fill spaces. We want to develop leaders. And so 80% of our, our development is exactly the same across the board. Uh, no matter what level you serve, 20% of it is unique to this specific area uh, that you serve in. And so that's just a little bit of it. We're, we're taking this completely digital. We're in the process of this, uh, in the midst of this. And right now, when uh, Sunday isn't always coming, uh, we are able to, at least in the way that, that we have uh, understood it, you know, over the years, we're able to work on our ministry uh, and not just, not just in, you know, our ministry. So uh, it's been a real blessing for us in the season. And I'm excited about rolling this out and what this looks like. But we believe the digital piece, uh, I'll give you one, one final example. My kids are now in a place where when they go to school, their teacher asks them to open their Chromebooks and they do their work digitally, even though she's up there teaching. So we, we are saying that we believe that the digital space uh, is not... Um, is not really something where uh, it's going to compete with you being in a room with a person. We always want to connect people, uh, but we believe that the digital space is something that can, can live in both worlds. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's both. And that is so good, Matt. I'm, I'm typing notes as you're talking. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things I love that you said, you used, you used the word formation. And then you said this, you said, we're not trying to fill spaces. We're trying to develop leaders. Correct. And I love that. I heard a statement a couple months ago that has resonated so, so deeply within my soul since I heard it. And uh, it, it was this. It said, uh, the, the, the people that we get to lead, they don't exist to build the church. The church exists to build them. And when you talk about formation and when you talk about not just filling spaces but developing leaders, that's what you're talking about is a people-centric approach to ministry, right? And we again, we, we can tend to think that all ministry is people-centered, but it can very quickly, as we know, and as many of the leaders watching know, it can descend into something that is not people-centered. It can become very programmatic. What did you guys do? Maybe a, a specific example or two of, uh, of, of shifting away from what you were doing in order to bring this, you said, turning it upside down, right? In order to bring it back around the development of people and how has that been received in its limited rollout so far? Yeah, we started it. Uh, we started it with the staff. 
Uh, so we started with our development of people. In other words, we have a culture now that from the top to the bottom, uh, every single person is developing someone. It's not an option. Uh, so from Pastor Jason to myself on down, uh, we are all developing someone in every single season of ministry. And, you know, as long as we're here, uh, we're going to ask the question, who are you developing? Now, that apprentice model, obviously, there's, there's the, um, the expectation that the people we're developing are going to develop others. And I think people appreciate it when we can say to our leaders, hey, we're not looking for someone just to stand there and hand out a bulletin, uh, which, by the way, I think is going to go, the, go away for us in this next season. That's another conversation. Uh, but it's, it's literally, we care about you as a husband. We care about you as a mother. Uh, we care about your spiritual leadership. We want you to be better, um, a better business leader because you serve here at Bethlehem Church. Um, and when people feel like we're developing them, because I agree 100% with you, Dallas, uh, our job is not to build the church. Our job is to build people. Jesus' job is to build the church. So our job is to develop people and develop leaders and to see them impact, impact a world much greater than themselves. And so when you get that in the water and it starts first with the staff and then it starts filtering uh, to everybody else, it's pretty powerful for you to go, hey, I'm, I'm not looking for you to stand in a specific place. I'm looking to develop you because I care about you. Then I think we can say to them, honestly, we want more for them than from them. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'll tell you, though, um, Matt, the only thing was when you said you were going to get rid of the bulletin, I couldn't hear anything else you said. That was a <laughs> for me. Yeah, and the offering plate or bucket <laughs> or whatever. I mean, there are, a lot of things, uh, there are a lot of things that I think could potentially shift on the backside of this. Uh, so we've been developing our app um, to be able to handle all of that so that on the back end of this, our app does everything. Great. And that's just one small change, but we don't have to go there yet. <laughs> well, speaking of changes, uh, we've got Justin Holcomb with us. Justin, if you're just now joining us, is senior pastor at Atco Baptist Church in Cartersville. And Justin, you are brand new. Uh, man, you couldn't have picked a better time to uh to sure. but uh, as we have as we've talked offline you shared with me that in many ways it's been the providence of god that you arrived when you did and uh god's really been gracious to you guys even in the short time that you've been there and making some moves towards becoming a healthy uh people-centered uh disciple-making church so maybe just talk a little bit about what it's been like for you to hit the ground in the midst of this and some of the changes that you guys have made there at ATCO already. Sure. Um, first, I just want to say, Dallas, Milton, Matt, thanks so much for, for what you shared already. You've helped me. Um, and I know you've helped those who are listening as well. Yeah, man, been at ATCO for eight weeks now. Um, church was established in 1909. So almost like the Grove Church, a lot of history for sure. But what's surprising is there was really no processes in place when we got there. Um, pretty much it, it seemed like, uh, let's preach Sunday morning, let's preach Sunday night, let's preach Wednesday night, and uh, let's have Sunday school on Sunday mornings and just kind of see what happens from there. And with that, obviously, comes just a great love for the Word of God. So, so our people already have, have just a passion for God's Word. Um, 
and a great group of people at the church. But um, with all of that, we've got to reach more people. And with the goal to carry out the Great Commission and reach more people, even though we love the people we already have, we've got to put some of those processes in place. But I do love what, um, what Dallas started off with. Milton hit on it, and then Matt done an awesome job of covering it. We really looked into this thing when the pandemic started. Of You know, if we don't have processes in place, if we don't even have online giving in place yet, we don't even have online streaming in place yet, which we have those things now. But we started asking the question, well, really, how can we continue ministry? Um, because for a church where it was preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, preaching on Wednesday night, everything was so campus-centered. You know, if a pandemic hits, it's almost like ministry stops. But we all know we, we can't stop. So we started looking at how can we immediately expedite some of these processes and go ahead and get these in place so we can continue ministry right now. So we looked at two things we could do because we have this mindset, and this is a phrase we're using a lot right now. Let's learn to value people over processes. So how can we how can we really invest in our people right now more than, you know, the models and the process side of things? So we looked at two ideas. All right, let's reestablish some sort of method for pastoral care. Obviously, we being pastors, we know even though we want to spend one-on-one -on -one time with everyone in our church, we can't do that. It's physically impossible. Even Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't accomplish that. So how can we empower others to fulfill pastoral care um, in the place of the lead pastor. So we went through a strategy with, with our leadership, with deacon boards, with our, our group's leaders, our staff, and was able to really implement some, some care ministry to those people, whether it be phone calls, um, delivering food to those who are in need, those who had uh, been laid off from their jobs. So we looked at a pastoral care plan, which is performing very well right now, especially as a new pastor coming into a church with that much heritage. We want to send the message that, hey, we're not just telling you we love you, but we want to prove that to you. And sometimes the best way to prove that is just to empower other leaders to, to share the love we have in our hearts as pastor for the church. So we looked at a pastoral care plan, got that in place. And then right now, since we're not able to meet on campus and provide what we normally provide or what they're used to with that Sunday night and Wednesday night service, we put a halt on that so that we can go to the back end of things and really focus on processes that they've never really even had in place to begin with. Um, so one of those processes is just a discipleship strategy, a pathway. What does it look like when someone comes to the church for the first time? How do we share the gospel with them, which we do in an expository fashion every single Sunday from the pulpit? Hopefully we see them get born again and baptized. But then in, in what I've seen just in the first couple of weeks at this church, that's kind of where the discipleship process ends, salvation and baptism. And then they're kind of left to fend for themselves. And, and I would probably say, um, not trying to be negative in any way, but I'd probably say that's the majority of some of our smaller churches right now is that our discipleship process might be salvation, baptism, and then God bless you. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. So, We've put in a discipleship pathway that we're working on right now that teaches them how to belong, where they discover church membership. What does it look like to actually be a member? 
what is our vision, our mission. They learn all of that in that step of, of belong. And also they learn what a membership covenant looks like because we take church membership very important uh, or extremely important. So teach them how to belong, how to grow. Uh, Matt was talking about that formation process. That would be our step in, in helping people grow spiritually where we teach them practical steps. Also in this stage, we plug them into a group of some kind, whether that is for ATCO, the traditional Sunday school model, or whether that be a community group, which we're going to launch in this fall. Community groups will be meeting off campus since we are a transient community and we do have a lot of members who, who drive in from some in Taylorsville, some in Kingston, some in the Paulding County area, and then some also right there in, in downtown Cartersville. We want to start home groups in those various areas, almost like an extension of our campus. But you guys know that statistic on um, most church members nowadays are attending church 1.7 times a month, somewhere around in there. So how can we kind of take the church to them? I think those community groups, as Milton uh, addressed earlier, it's an excellent way to do that. So during the growth stage, we plug them into a group of some kind. That takes us to the third stage of our pathway, the share stage, which we just empower them, give them practical ways to share their faith, and we challenge each member to start a discipleship group in this stage. Discipleship group is just as simple as them choosing five people of the same gender and just reading through a Bible plan. I think Dallas actually introduced this to me the first time I ever met him uh, through the, uh, the Spark Conference, the first one that was ever hosted at First Baptist Woodstock. And uh, Robbie Gallaty and, and his team came in and, and man, we've been, I've been using this plan ever since and, and I've seen some, some great things happen in the disciple uh, making process with this. So in this share stage, we challenge each member of our church, start a D group with five people of the same gender, which they read through the F260 Bible plan that, that Gallaty and his team puts out. So the belong stage, the growth stage, the share stage, and then the final stage is the serve stage. Before um, we get new members to assimilate into this grow and share stage and this serve stage, we want them to know what it looks like to be a true member. We want them to be growing in their faith. We want them to be sharing their faith. And then we want to plug them into a place of service uh, on our campus or off our campus. And, and in this serve stage, we teach them what it looks like uh, to be a servant of Christ. We teach them their spiritual gifts, and then we just practically plug them into a place of service in our church ministry and challenge them to serve at least one hour a week. A lot of members serve more than one hour a week, but we want them to serve at least one hour a week. But again, just going back to the phrase I've used to start this conversation off. Even though we're working on many processes right now, and I know some of our team members kind of feel overwhelmed with everything that I'm throwing at them, um, the gist of this is just to, to value people over these processes, to realize, as Matt said, that, that we're trying to, to really develop strong, faithful followers of Christ and strong leaders in the church, but processes do help do that. So, so I think we need them. 
Justin, you've been busy. It's been a busy eight weeks for you. Man, it's, it's been a ball. Um, obviously, we'd, we'd love to be uh, on campus, seeing everyone face-to-face, especially being a new pastor. Man, I miss, I miss our people. I love them. I feel like I've known them forever. And in some ways, this has allowed us to get to know each other better. Um, also, I just want to speak to those who may be in a similar situation that's listening, who's a new pastor at a church. Um, more than likely, this will help you become the pastor of that church a lot sooner than you thought. Mm. What do I mean by that? If, if we, talking about myself and, and those who are new, if you'll lead well during this time, and if you will show those people that you truly do value them, that you're not just sitting on your hands, that you're not just using this as a big, long vacation, but actually truly invest in them and meet their needs and be there for them, like you're going to be their pastor when you return to campus, whereas normally it might take three to five years to get that buy-in and that trust. So, so hopefully that encourages some of those guys as well. Man, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I love what, what everybody shared so far, and I hope you're enjoying it as you're watching along with us. Continue to comment and, and like and love um, what, you're, what you're hearing. Uh, I was reading in, in Acts 18 this past week, and uh, we see that example of Paul there in Corinth, and he's, he starts by speaking in the synagogue, and that kind of goes awry pretty quickly. And so I love what he does. He just says, all right, I'll just go next door to the synagogue. He's adaptable. He's adjustable. And the reality is that's going to happen to us in ministry, right? W- whether it's a, a pandemic, which is, is crazy and none of us have ever experienced before, or just in the day-to-day rhythms of ministry, we, we're going to find ourselves sometimes um, put off of our plan, put off of our process, right? We're going to have to, to adapt and adjust. And Kim, you talk with so many different pastors and, and leaders and and folks who are serving in, in churches. Uh, you serve as a consultant in uh, our church consulting team at the Noonday Baptist Association, of which I am a member. It's the best association in our state. We'll just go ahead and say that um, for anybody who might be watching. But Kim, you talk to so many people and you talk a lot about changes as a consultant. One of the things that you're doing is trying to help churches be the best that they can be. And so as you're engaging with churches, what are some of the changes that you've seen maybe out of this time, this, this eight-week period where we've been under quarantine and things have looked differently, what are some of these changes that you're maybe recommending churches embrace, not just now, but moving into the future? Um, I think people have um, realized that it, it can be done, that for many of them, and especially in our smaller churches, um, they've never done that before, but they've realized that it, they can do it. So they can have online groups, they can do online giving, and it's kind of forced us, it's really sped things up a lot for people in order to do that. It's kind of one of those things, oh yeah, we need to get around to do that, and we thought about doing that, but they're like, it's, an, it's a necessity now, they have to do it. And so I think they've done that. So if they've done that, then why would you want to go back? To that. And um, I, I, three words that I think with all of this COVID thing, and not just to the COVID, but there's so much information out there. And I think as they look at Bible study groups, I've kind of three words that kind of come up to me. Then, of course, with the being the, the pastoral thing that they're there, I'll start with a C. But um, the first thing that, you know, is content. There's a lot of content 
out there that, that you have to kind of cipher through and you have to kind of look at all that. So our people can get content, they can get Bible studies, they can hear the best sermons in the world from all these different speakers and pastors. You can be involved on that level with lots of different people and lots of different churches. And I know my, my, you know, I surf the internet and, and look at all the pastors and hear all that stuff and, and there's content. But I think where the kind of the water meets the, the, you know, meets the wheel kind of thing is when it comes down to connection and care. And you just can't get that when you're looking online. And it comes back to kind of what Justin was saying about, you know, he can be a pastor now to his people. He can develop those relationships. And so I think it comes back to connecting with people. And we've got to figure out how to connect with people online and through this different kind of time. It used to be, you know, Matt was talking about the guy handing out the bulletins. That was a connection point for us. But now if we don't have bulletins, we, you know, he, that connection point's gone. So we've got to figure out different kind of connection points. And I've heard of so many different churches where they have called their entire membership or they've divided up like into small groups, they've made, you know, different chunks of that to where they connect with people just to kind of find out how they're doing, how they can pray for them, whether their specific needs, all that connection thing. And then when they connect with them, then that revolves and just rolls right down into the caring aspect of that. And when a church can be generous, and when they have funds, they can be generous and they can, can, they can care for people. And that just kind of goes, I think, a little bit deeper. So where the, you know, a smaller church might, can't, might not have as good a communicator as a, a big time pastor communicator, but they sure can develop those connection bonds and those care things that will help people feel that even need more so that feel of somebody knows my name, somebody knows I'm here, somebody's praying for me. And so that connection and care piece, I think during this time is huge. And any church, regardless of the size, can develop that and they can be the church to the people right there where they are. And then um, I think that another thing I, that kind of comes along with this is engagement. Matt used that word so much. Um, in the past, we, used, we had the eight point system. You know, when we checked off, that was a way that we could check off if we had read our Bible, if we have given, if we've talked to somebody. And then, you know, we counted baptisms, we've counted people in the pews, but how do you count engagement in this digital world? There's lots of numbers out there of how many hits you've gotten on Facebook or all, any of that kind of stuff, but is that engagement? And how can we take that person who might be worshiping with us all over the world in the United States and get them engaged with us or either help them move to a step of engagement for them where they are, you know, and that's going to, that's going to flatten the church in some respects where they might be watching your service at Kennesaw, but yet you're going to connect them with the church in right there where they are, who is like-minded that can help them grow. And that's connection and care and engagement and helping them kind of connect to all of that. So 
I just, um, those are some of my thoughts along those lines. And I think for our smaller churches too, the technology piece, I think has been kind of difficult for them. It's difficult, you know, our age is kind of can be difficult and um, get finding those leaders, people who you can tap into and along those lines to kind of help, help you along that with that. Kim, that's so good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, man, just so much good, good stuff. What you're saying, I'm just tracking along with so much of it because we, we would be considered a, um, what is, what is the word they use? Normative size church. Uh, we would be considered a normative size church at the Grove. And we, uh, we were fortunate we had online giving set up, but we had, we had not streamed a service in my time here. And so literally within a matter of 24, 48 hours, I remember probably a lot like some of those watching do trying to think, okay, we've got to go from never having done it, having none of the equipment, none of the infrastructure, none of the experience to, okay, now let's go. We've got to do it. And so I know that uh, some were able to turn it around pretty quickly, probably like us, the product wasn't spectacular, but it, it got the job done. Others, uh, even in some of our larger churches, it's been beautiful to watch, have come alongside some of our uh, more normative sized churches and said, hey, we've got some technology. How can we help you? How can we serve you? Um, and so I've loved, I've loved watching how um, sometimes in our own circles, we kind of um, cannibalize one another, right? We can, we can poke and prod and find different things we don't like about what other churches are doing. But it's been neat to see in this particular season how churches have rallied around kind of what brings us together in the first place, right? We're, we're brothers and sisters, as Pastor Milton said earlier, we're family. And so we, family fights for family. We've got each other's back and we're working together through this. We're walking together through this. We're going to get together, uh, get through it together. So I appreciate you sharing that and appreciate all you do. I want to, want to wrap things up in our time together with like a lightning round. Okay. And so, um, I'm going to buzz you. I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off if you go over the time limit. Um, just kidding. I'm not going to do that, but I, I do want you to keep it short and sweet and simple and to the point. But here's the question I want to I want to ask you as you've led through change of varying degrees in different environments, suburban, urban, rural churches of all sizes. Some are mobile, some are static. We've got all sorts of situations here as you've led through change. What has been your toughest hurdle? If you had to identify one thing that sort of stood out. So identify that thing, my, my, my toughest hurdle to lead through change. And then in, in a sentence, what got me through that or what got me over that hurdle? So, um, Scott, you have been uh, silently sitting and watching, but a wealth of, a wealth of, uh, of, of information and, and so much experience in the local church. So uh, we're going to start with you today. What, what would you say biggest hurdle? And then how did you hop that hurdle? Here's what I'd say, uh, the value of people and the investment in processes, mm -hmm. both of those are important. And uh, that, that really speaks to the value, uh, the, the difficulty part, but also how to overcome that, because you're going you're gonna to have those all the way through. That's good. Thank you, Scott. Kim, let's go to you. Biggest hurdle, and then what, what have you learned coming through that? Um, I kind of want to hang on to what we've been, what I've done, you know, if I'm planning something, this is the way I did it. This is, you know, and I'm going to try to keep figuring how to make it work right here. And then I've realized that I've had to throw that out mm. and create something completely new. Mm. And I got to move on because that's gone. 
there's a new thing here and I've got to, to move on. And there are new ways of doing things, but we have to take that process, that, that the thing that's important and recreate it and make something new. Um, the method, the method, the, the method's gone, come up with a new method of how to train people, engage people, connect people, care with people, that kind of thing. That's gone. Move on. Mm, that's so good. Thank you, Kim. Justin, let's go to you. Yeah, for me, man, being in church revitalizations, both in the one that I was a pastor of for right at almost six years and in this one, the one thing that is always difficult in those settings is just the newness of trying to implement change, trying to implement new processes, new strategies, the way things look. Um, so yeah, man, just when implementing something new, it can be difficult. And I would say there's it's really something key in trying to get a new strategy process, new idea across, and, and, and it's the idea of communication. Just communicating well to your people, what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, how it is biblical, what things will look like in the future if we do do this or even if we don't do this. Um, so communicating, but communicating from the top down to your leadership and uh, challenging your leadership to communicate those ideas with key volunteers until every single member has been filled in on kind of what's coming and, and why it's coming. So, yeah. Thank you. Milton, let's hear from you. What's the biggest hurdle that you faced and then how have you uh, walked through that? I think for me, uh, since Justin said communication, that's one of them. But I think the, I mean, the other top one is probably just as difficult. It's been honestly like probably self-leadership. Uh, I'm normally fairly driven and focused. And I think in this new normal, there's so many uh, problems to solve. It's just been trying to figure out like, how do I pull back and not be, not, I haven't been overwhelmed by them, but like what's most important. So I think it's really like leaving myself, you know, the kids at home and my wife and I, uh, we're juggling just that new normal with them to uh, like caring for the flock. There's just so many things I found myself in the past. Like I consider myself to be very focused and very driven. But now in some ways, I feel like I haven't been uh, as focusedly kind of laser focused as I need to be. And so just kind of scattered. And now I feel like the dust is selling. Now I'm able to say, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so I think now I'm starting to have that. So for me, it definitely has just been probably leading self a little bit better in this season uh, in, in the midst of all these problems to be solved. Before we go to Matt, Milton, let's say you and I are on a football field and we're on the goal line. How much of a head start could you give me before you caught me in a race? <laughs> could you give me 50 yards? I bet you could give me 50. <laughs> I bet you could give me 50. Matt, let's go to you, man. Biggest hurdle, and uh, how'd you get through it? Yeah, I would just – I would say pain tolerance. Mm. I mean, change equals pain. And so what is your pain tolerance? Because anytime you introduce uh, change, it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful for the leader. It's going to be painful for the people. Uh, you know, one of the things I always say is um, vision is where you're going. Uh, strategy is how you're going to get there. But, but people and staff uh, for us determine if you're going to get there. And so you got to get people on board with the vision. And so leaders see it first. They go first. And so you have to paint a picture uh, of a better outcome. And I think always with change, you got to realize you're painting that picture and you got to paint a picture for a better outcome for people. I think that's the hardest piece. And then realize that there are always going to be your early adopters who are going to jump on board. 
And then there's going to be, uh, you know, the, the people that, that watch others jump on board and then they're going to jump on board. Um, and eventually you get to a tipping point. Uh, but the reality is there's going to be people who never get on board. And I think it was uh, maybe you, Dallas, and Justin probably could experience this. Is there going to be people, as much as, as much as you want them to buy in, they're just not going to buy in. And you have to be okay with that. And ultimately, I think it just comes down to, uh, to pain tolerance. That's good. Matt, while you were talking, I, um, I registered the domain, bring back the Bethlehem bulletin.com. So <laughs> I'm starting an anonymous blog. Hey, that could be, that could be for another, uh, that could be for another zoom call later uh, about what we're thinking around there. I a hundred percent agree uh, with Kim, by the way, it's like, you don't want to remove a connection point. So for us, for guest services, it wouldn't change uh, a person standing there and greeting them and welcoming them. Uh, but connection is, is huge. It's important. Uh, but I, Hey, I've been on that train for a while. And like you said, crisis gives you the opportunity, uh, to change something. Uh, right. so that, that's, that's mine. Well, I should confess now before God and before you all that we don't have a bulletin that we give out every Sunday. So oh, good for you. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. You're ahead of the game. <laughs> hey, uh, I'll close and I'll just say, I think for me, a lot along the lines of what Pastor Milton shared, self-leadership, when we were walking through the change here at the Grove Church, um, I found myself sort of swiping a credit card, right? A, an emotional credit card, a physical credit card, a mental credit card, a relational credit card. And I had a little bit of, uh, I had a little bit of savings uh, put away from a real healthy season of ministry. And just thought, man, I could get here and I could spend that and then probably spend a little more. And then when we got healthy, uh, I'd pay down that balance, right? And what I realized is um, even when we got healthy, there were challenges that remained. And so we got healthy, but I had swiped that credit card so much that I was in debt. I was in relational debt. I was in emotional debt. I was in a, a poor place just in terms of mental health. And I know a lot of people probably in this season are, are feeling um, some of the tension of, of that personally. And I had to, I had to sit down with a counselor and just walk through uh, addressing some of those tendencies in my own life. Like you said, Pastor Milton, of, of being so, so focused sometimes that I, I forget I've got a capacity. You know, I'm, I, I'm a human. I, I'm not made to do it all. And so I think as leaders, we have to be real honest with ourselves and we need to have people in our lives who can um, see when we're swiping those those credit cards and step in and say to us, hey, stop swiping. You, you, you can't pay that bill. And um, so I was fortunate enough to have a friend that was was willing to do that. And it really probably was that it was the grace of God that it, that it happened when it did. Um, and so just encourage you if you're watching tonight and um, man, this is a, a difficult season for you and you feel like because of the adrenaline rush that kicked in right away and you've been swiping like ministry credit cards and, um, and emotional and physical and mental and you just, you're, you're at wit's end. We just want to know like we're praying for you. Um, if you need help, get it. Come, come to one of us, any one of us. Just reach out. We'll, we'll do what we can to help you find the help that you need because we, again, this isn't about building great ministries. This is about growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and becoming more like him every single day. And we can't lead our churches to, to be, to be like that. If, if we're not like that. So, um, man, we want you to be healthy and, 
Uh, we pray that this discussion has been encouraging to you. We pray you've been encouraged and you've gotten some takeaways from it. We just want to ask you if you would leave, leave maybe your big takeaway from this, this conversation in the comments section below. Is the one thing that stood out to you? What's the one question that you're walking away from here with? What's the one question you're going to ask your team or uh, volunteers that serve with you in ministry? But ultimately, what we want to say to you is just thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We know that uh, if you're anything like me or like us, this season, I don't feel like it's made me less busy. I feel like it's made me more busy because I'm trying to keep up with this ever-changing um, kind of current that we're in. And so we know you're busy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for setting aside a little bit of time to listen in. We, we pray, like, like I said earlier, it's been encouraging to you. And if we, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, can help you in any way, don't ever hesitate to reach out. That's why we're here. You are heroes. Justin, you're a hero. Pastor Milton, you're a hero. Matt, you're a hero. We're so thankful for you guys who are serving on the front lines. And um, we just want to want you to know that whether it's your local association, like Kim represents today, or whether it's the Mission Board as a whole, we're a family and we're in this together. So thank you again for joining us. We look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you again soon. God bless you.